have with us Francois Gauthier, a French journalist and author who has been living in India for several decades. Welcome to Reason, the New Indians platform where we get to the reason behind the issues that concern you. Welcome, Francois Gauthier. Thank you very much. We will begin this conversation with often quoted or mentioned in public discourse in India about Francois Gauthier. You've been called the Western white poster boy of Hindutva in India. Do you think that charge is really valid or do you think there's something that you're really proud about? Well, it's absolute, it's absolute rubbish because uh, as everything, it happened naturally. <clears throat> I came to India, I lived in Pondicherry for seven, eight years. Uh, Pondicherry is not India, it's, it's like Goa or Srinagar, it's an island. You, don't, you can't really know India being in Pondicherry. So when I started doing some journalism, <clears throat> I discovered India, I discovered the Hindus. Um, I became enamored of these people called the Hindus. I also saw them in Kashmir. Kashmir actually was my eye-opener because in Kashmir, I saw the uh, ethnic cleansing of the Kashmiri Hindus. I was a witness to that. And it really uh, shocked me and opened my eyes. So yes, I started defending Hindus. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that because I think they're wonderful people. They're probably the only people who understand that God can be he or she and manifest at different times using different names uh, with different scriptures. So in that way, for me, they're a people of knowledge. They hold probably the last knowledge in the world. Now, as far as the BGP is concerned, when I came to India, I didn't know the difference between a Muslim and a Hindu. I was a young Frenchman. I had no clue. I had no clue about the world. So actually, it's on the ground that I discovered uh, things and that I experienced things. Uh, I saw the Hindus being a majority in India and being such wonderful people that they should have their own political party. So when, in the beginning of the BGP, when uh, Mr. Vajpayee, Muli Manoj Joshi, and Mr. Advani uh, came on the scene. I followed them. Uh, I, I came to know them. I reported on them. Uh, I praised them. Uh, so I, I became known as a defender of Hindus. But actually, I'm a defender of India. I, I believe that uh, India is a special country and holds a special knowledge and that uh, it's becoming a superpower and that I should defend India economically and geopolitically. But your critics would say that you've been bashing Gandhi, you've been bashing Nehru, you've been bashing Sonia Gandhi. You have constantly bashed the Congress party. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you have essentially been a poster boy of the BJP. But I'm criticizing Mr. Modi now. I mean, nobody seems to be noticing that I have been criticizing Mr. Modi and people have been telling me, no, don't do that. You know, like in the same time, and I used to criticize Ms. Sonia Gandhi because she was the actually ruler of India, just being an MP. And Manmohan Singh was just a, a puppet. 
and people, my wife, and I'm married to an Indian, my wife, my friends, they know what you're crazy, this is dangerous. And once the French ambassador told me, the Congress is going to throw you out of India. So I've always spoken my mind, I'm a Frenchman, I'm a little militant, uh, but uh, it doesn't make me a hateful person. I, uh, what I saw on the ground, uh, fashion my thinking and fashion my, my writing, but uh, I'm a fair person. If I feel that the BGP is uh, wrong, and I do feel that the BGP have been heavily congressized. So when you say India, you are a defender of India. What do you mean by India? Uh, you have made statements saying that India and Pakistan should re reunify. You have made statements that partition was wrong. You have made statements that Gandhi was completely wrong about India. What exactly is India from your perspective and what has gone wrong with the idea of India that you have? My idea of India hasn't gone wrong. My idea of India still remains the same that beyond ideologies, beyond the Congress of BGP ideologies or whatever ideologies, India as a future superpower, as a buffer against uh, Chinese hegemony, uh, as a democratic, spiritualized nation, because the genius of India is that it preserves its spirituality throughout the ages in spite of so many invasions, so much onslaught, even today, that there are tools that developed in India like meditation, pranayama, uh, hatha yoga, ayurveda, which are still alive and are spread onto the world uh, and still spreading on the So this India needs to be protected. Beyond ideologies, uh, my idea of India is a, of a you know, deeply spiritualized nation that is in the making of becoming maybe not a superpower because it still lacks uh, that Chinese, uh, you know, ego superpower, but still uh, becoming an economic power, geopolitical power. So this India is defined beyond ideologies. So this India needs to be defended from whom? Who exactly is India's enemy that this spiritualized India that you are referring to, who are its enemies? We got independence in 1947. We are a republic in our own right. We even if we are not a superpower, but we are an emerging power. So what do you mean by saying defending India? So India is attacked from many sides. Uh, there is first there's a Christian missionary. I'm a born Catholic, educated Catholic. My father was a deeply Catholic man, a good man. My uncle was a priest, parish priest. Uh, but I see that the, uh, the conversion by missionaries in Punjab now even, nobody would have thought that Sikhs, would convert to Christianity uh, is damaging the, the social fabric of India because what happens in conversion is that missionaries turn people against their own people. That uh, they tell them that you know you can't put put you on your head, you can't do puja, you can't enter a temple. It's a mortal sin. You might go to hell. So this is damaging the Indian fabric. Uh, the second thing is of course the Islamization of India. All those Muslims. Because when I came to India, uh, both Christianity and Islam had a softer side. Uh, in Oroville, where I live partly, the Tamil, the Muslim villages, you know, the, the women 
did not wear burqa, but in the last 20, 25 years, the men come back from the Gulf and make them wear, you know, full burqas. So the Islamization of India is also, to me, because, of course, the label of being an Islamophobe today is uh, like, uh, you know, if you got a uh, terrible disease or you're a terrible person, but nevertheless, the Islamization of India is also a danger to India. And then there's a westernization. When Mrs. Gandhi, Sonia Gandhi, was the you know, empress of India, she covertly or overtly encourages westernization of India, whereby through, mostly through TV, through, the, through Dish TV, villagers think that you know, wearing a three-piece suit or buying a 60 rupees uh, cream to make you fairer you know, is the, the in thing. So the Western nation of India is also a big gender because we saw that countries uh, where America you know, conquered or became very present as the Philippines or Korea lost part of their soul because with the, with the American military presence came also the missionaries. Uh, so people started losing their identity. I think the identity of being an Indian is very important. So Westernization, uh, Christian missionaries, Islamization is that great. And then there's Marxism also. The fourth one is Marxism, of course. You know, I have been fighting against uh, both Indian journalists and Western leftist journalists who, who accuse me of being a Hindu-phobe or Islamophobe or Hindu-loving man and Islamophobe. And Hindu-phobe. And there's no change. I, I don't see much change today in India. I don't see that. Of course, in India, a little more nationalism has come with Mr. Modi, a little more pride of being Indian. And social media made a lot of difference also. Uh, because now on social media, you see that Hindus show their pride, show their, you know, their will to fight for, for their culture and their spirituality. But let me uh, ask you about Christian missionaries. You are a Catholic. Your family also has very strong Catholic background. But then you seem to be, I mean, from their perspective, from the perspective of the church and the Catholic missionaries, they might think that you are a Christian phobe. Uh, you've been labeled as an Islamophobe, but they might say that you are also Christian phobe. You've been raised as a Catholic, but then you are critical about how missionaries function. Are you saying that missionary, missionaries in the world, in the West also, have destroyed perhaps heterogeneity of spiritualism, of various cultures and faiths? Yes, of course. I mean both Islam and Christianity use their armies to spread the faith. Um, in South America, the Portuguese, the Spanish um, killed the indigenous civilization like the Incas and the Aztecs, which are their own spirituality. And today, all of them are Christian. So yes, of course, and Islam did the same on a much bigger scale. But it failed in India. And, and I hope that uh, Christianity will also fail in India because uh, it keeps uh, culture of people. It just, you know, I mean, of true, I'm born a Catholic and I'm a Frenchman. I'm proud to be a Frenchman in many ways. But uh, conversion is, a, is an attack on one's psyche. And I, I think it's a crime. I think it's a crime. The Chinese have no, they have no, you know, they don't have the scruple that Indians have. Indians think that all religions are the same. And, uh, Christ is also an avatar. True, but what, what the, the Christians have done of Christ's teaching, the teaching of love and, 
and compassion it become a, a, you know an army of uh, murders and uh, assassinations also yes I, I think that Christianity is very dangerous for India and that uh, the Indian government should be a little tougher because now most missionaries are Indian you see they have OCIs yes. Uh, before they were white missionaries, uh, but I don't see any more white missionaries in India. Uh, they are Indians. And the Indian Christianity is the Christianity that I had in my country 50, 60, 100 years ago. It's much more orthodox, much more uh, radical, much more deadly. Christianity has evolved in the West. Oh, I have a brother who is a Protestant. Um, my father was, a, I said, was a staunch Catholic. Came to India. We took him to temples. He didn't feel that he was committing a mortal sin. But an Indian Christian a missionary will tell his flocks that don't enter temple. I've seen it for myself with my own eyes. And then I'm not an historian, but I have studied Indian history deeply. And that famous theory of the Aryan invasion that white people yes. came to India and converted or forced back the tribal, the original inhabitants to the south or to the center and imposed the caste system. It's totally wrong. It's been proved wrong. Even people like Romila Tapa, you know, they've stepped away from that because they know that it's, you know, scientifically proved wrong. But it's still there. I went to Maharashtra to do something on the Wali a few years back on the Wali. You know, people, the Wali's, they do these wonderful paintings. And many of them are converted and the missionaries still tell them, you are the original inhabitants of India. You are not Hindu. You are you're an Aryan. Convert to the true religion. It's still happening. You said that westernization of India is dangerous. Islamization of India is dangerous. But India, historically, if you look at uh, India's history of the last 1200 years, uh, whether through invasion, whether through coercion, whether through uh, Sufism, Indians did convert to Islam. And with the colonial rule in India, Indians did adapt or embrace the westernization, which you think is dangerous. Can we erase history? Can we erase the past? Because there is a very strong culture of Islam in India. There's a very strong culture of westernization in India, even before 1947. There are two types of westernization. Uh, there is taking the best of the West. This is wonderful. I think in the West they, they have a great uh, love of perfection in work. Uh, they have a great uh, perfection in, in the material, which is badly lacking in India. So there's nothing wrong in taking the best of the West. What is wrong is that when your mind is colonized, India was colonized for a long time. And uh, the British were smart enough to send the best minds of India to study in Oxford or Cambridge. And they came back totally, you know, anglicized. And the children and the grandchildren are, are still have a colonized mind. They think that everything the West does is good. But that is not true. It's not true. In the West, people are looking for answers. People like taking up yoga or meditation or pranayama because they're looking for answers. They don't find them anymore in the West. So this total you know, taking everything from the West blindly is wrong. Westernization means when you, you know, your mind is colonized and you, you think that everything that comes from the West is good and everything that is Indian is bad. 
And this is what we perceive in Indian journalism, is that Indian journalism looks at India from a Western point of view, yes. always. More than that, from a Marxist point of view. Mm -hmm. Because Marxism, once upon a time, was an ideology, no doubt, no doubt about it. Though oh, it has disappeared from the world, Cuba and China are the last two communist countries. You can't call them communist anymore. So what I've noticed is that Indian journalists and media looks at India with Western critical point of view. So everything, they find fault in everything. Yes. The worst enemies of Indians are Indians because uh, those who are in the West teach in American universities, or they keep writing about caste and poverty and Hindu fundamentalism. But I live in India and I see differently. I see differently. I see that the simple people of India, not in Delhi, but the people in India... Are, in uh, villages. They, ha they have a knowledge, but not in their mind. They have a knowledge in their genes that you, know, that you accept people, that you're tolerant, that you, you're good, that uh, you don't kill. So, so, yes, yes, Western education is okay as long as you take the best and leave the worst, because there are a lot of things about the West which are wrong today. And what about Islam or Islamic culture that has been in India for a very, very long time? Well, you see, this is a complicated matter. Because nobody wants to say it aloud. This is not political. Even today, it was not politically correct 30, 40 years ago, and today it's still not politically correct to say that Islam, the, the impact of Islam on India is, is uh, and there are Western other Western historians who have said so, that it was catastrophic, the, the, the onslaught of Islam in India, because Islam rightfully con considers that adoring an idol, stone idol, is, uh, you know, is something against God. It always considered that. That's how it started. And in those days, uh, there was ruthlessness, there was cruelty, there was barbarism. So the, the onslaught of India, you know, people today, say that Aurangzeb was a refined emperor and fair emperor. But actually, if you look, because Aurangzeb was a very, very meticulous emperor. You know, I've been criticized for that, but my historian, I employ historians. Well, so, yeah, somebody could say that Hitler was also very meticulous. No, no, but Hitler didn't leave any records behind. You know, whatever Aurangzeb did, he, he signed it. He had it in Farsi and signed it. If he ordered the demolition of the Somnath Temple, it is there preserved in the archive. Nobody knows that. But in the Bikaner archive and Hyderabad archive, every order of Aurangzeb is preserved. Every order. So whether it is forbidding the Hindus from you know, uh, riding a horse or an elephant or a palanquin, or whether it is destroying thousands and thousands of very ancient temples, or whether it is the execution of Hindus. But what would you say to Romila Thapar, who has actually made an argument that uh, these conquerors or these rulers are not really representative of Islam? They were just conquerors, they were just invaders, or they were just rulers who were ruthless uh, in a time when democracy was still very far in the world. No, this is totally untrue because uh, when you have an invader, you treat them as foreigners and you, you push them out. So there are heroes and heroes in India like Shivaji Maharaj or Maharana Pratap in the North who always considered that the Mughals were invaders, they were foreigners, they didn't belong to India, they had come to India to loot and eventually they settled into India, but 
you know, Maharaja Pratap is a very good example because uh, the better of the Mughal Emperor Akbar wanted to make friends with Maharaja Pratap. He was the only Rajput who actually re resisted the Mughals. All the other Maharajas, they either gave their wives uh, to, the, to, to him or they paid a tribute. Now, Maharaja Pratap considered that uh, Akbar was a, was, was a foreigner. So Akbar wanted to make friends with him and, and Maharaja Pratap refused. So they fought, the two armies fought in Adilgati and actually Akbar's army was held uh, drawn. So the problem is that Indians lack nationalism. The elite of India, uh, the people who, you know, who count, the people who, the, the higher bureaucrats, the, the journalists, the, uh, the intelligentsia, they lack, they lack pride of being Indian. So your critics would say that, you know, your emphasis on this, on the fact, uh, on uh, what you are saying, that Islamization of India has been horrendous. It has been catastrophic. Horrendous. Yeah. And your critics might say that your insistence on this fault line, which is a major fault line in India, we have over 220 million Muslims who follow Islam. They might say that you are actually polarizing society. You are tearing apart the social fabric of India. We have lived in coexistence. We have lived in harmony. A lot of people would say this. See, Muslims are like everybody. They're good and bad people. They're like Hindus or Christians. I mean, I have met so many Muslims who are good people in there, but the problem with the scriptures, which was written many, many centuries ago, at a time where you know, these things were considered normal, killing people or beheading them or cutting their hands were considered normal. So this is still applied today because Muslims feel that, you know, this is the holy scripture that cannot be changed. But it needs to be adapted. As I said, Christianity has adapted. Now the Pope recognizes, they haven't recognized Hindus yet, but they recognize that Buddhism, the Dharma, you know, other religion may be, may have some truth. So in the same thing, unless Islam accepts that, okay, I remain a Muslim. I, I remain a Muslim. This is my faith. My father was my grandfather was Muslim. I remain a faithful Muslim, but I accept that there are other religions and I accept to live peacefully with them. But this is not the case, unfortunately. We so saw it, let me finish. We, I saw it in Kashmir with my own eyes. Yeah. Because the Kashmiri Hindus that don't know faults, you know, they yes. live with their brother and say, like you said, they went to the festival and they went to the marriage and they, you know, they went to the Sufi mosque. You know. But they were chased out and killed because they were from another religion. You see, I saw it in my own eyes. It's not like I'm, I'm a you know, Islam hater. I saw it with my own eyes and it, it shattered me. That it is possible that the religions think that you can kill people because they belong to another religion. And it's still true today. We saw with the Taliban, it's still true today. So unless Islam comes to turn with itself, you know, they're killing the Ahmadis, you know, the Ahmadis, the Aga Khan Muslims, they're getting killed in Pakistan you know, because they, they're also Muslim, but they belong to a different brand, they're slightly different, you know, the Sunnis and Shia, although they kill each other. How is it possible? You know? So, so I, you know, as a journalist, I write what I see. I may write it a little militantly, and I may not be politically correct, but I write what I saw in Kashmir and what I've seen elsewhere because I've, you know, I've covered the whole of South Asia and Pakistan and Bangladesh. I've seen it again and again and again. You know that the people are good, but the scriptures are teaching them something which is wrong which they believe is good. 
So, putting the onus on Muslims of India that they need to say that there are other truths as well, there are other faiths as well, and you're basically expecting Indian Muslims to say that Quran or Islam is not the supreme. Is that what you mean? See, it happened before. I mean, Dara the brother, he was the eldest son of Shah Jahan. He should have become the emperor. You know, he he was a he, he was a guy who was open to all religions. He dialogued with uh, with pandits. He dialogued with uh, Jesuits, with Christian missionaries. He dialogued with Jewish uh, uh, sages. If he had become emperor, maybe the whole history of Islam would have changed because he was a tolerant guy and he accepted other. But he remained Muslim. There are. You know, there are paintings of him worshipping with his son in the mosque of the Red Fort in Delhi. He remained a Muslim, but he accepted it. But Aurangzeb beheaded him, and when Aurangzeb beheaded him, that hard, Sunni, in, you know, intolerant brand of Islam came to the fore, and is still there today in the world. It is prevailing today in the world. A return of Sufism would be the solution, but the Sufism we see in Ajmer and the Dagar of Ajmer is fake Sufism. It's just fake Sufism. So other what is real Sufism? Accepting other religions, you know, that I accept you. I remain a true Muslim, but I accept you. And I'm not going to kill you because you belong to a different faith. But if you look at the majority of Muslims in India, they live next to Hindus. They are you know, by and large, peaceful. There aren't, uh, you know, episodes of daily violence sure. or writing in India. Sure. So, what is your expectation from but them? Now, now that you see every day that there is some, you know, Hindu uh, procession which has been attacked, some Hindu festival being attacked, you know, some guy has been killed, some BGP cadre is being killed. It is not true today. Especially in places like Assam and West Bengal and Kerala, it is not true. Not true. I don't think that today Islam has come to terms with the fact that there are other religions. I'm not saying that all Indian Muslims are you know, on the wrong. Many of them may be. But when I came to India, it was much better. It was much oh, Okay, so you're saying that There's it has been a worsening only... because of the influence of the, of the Gulf countries. You know, the millions of, of Muslims who go work in the Gulf countries, they come back radicalized. It is true. It is the truth. So how can, how can India, or for that matter, even Europe today, France, for example, also has been facing uh, radicalism yeah. among Muslim uh, communities? In France, it's even more interesting. Because in France, these guys came, you know, their, their great, great grandfather came as coolies, you know, because the French didn't want to pick up the garbage anymore or, or do the mason work, so they came as coolies. Now, their great, great grandson are very educated people. Some of them are the cream of French society. They're poets, they're actors, they're film directors, you know. But, you know, but uh, there is always in the background, and this is what I experienced in Kashmir, in, in Srinagar, you know. I went to meet some very nice gentlemen who were, you know, Muslim retired uh, teachers, Muslim retired uh, high court judges, you know. And they were super nice, you know, but, but in the end, they always said, you know, we feel closer to Pakistan. You know? We feel closer to Pakistan. We don't feel Indian. Why are they showing this Marabha? Uh, those days they were showing the Mahabharata, Siri and Dudash, and why are they showing us this? Good people, nice people, you know, super nice people. So does the world have a solution to prevent, you're saying the Gulf countries have influenced 
countries like India, Indian, India and Muslims in India. Are you saying that the Islam, the version of Islam that is coming from the Arab countries is a radicalized version of Islam and it somehow is not being able, uh, it's not being countered either in India. No, the people have, you know, they have a very, contrary to Hindu, you know, they have a faith and they, and they fight for that faith. If you look at football, no, because I'm, I, I play football, I, I love sports, you know, the influence of countries like Qatar in football is tremendous because not only they, or, or Emirates, you know, not only they, they fan stadium, they, they buy football club, but, but their players, you know, are, you know, they're, they're pure Muslim in the sense of, you know, of, you know, of... Orthodox and... Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, is there a solution? No. I don't know. It looks like, the, at the moment, there is no solution. It looks like this confrontation between Islam and, and, uh, and the Western world uh, and India uh, and China, because China also has its own problem with the Muslim, is, uh, it's leading to, to a confrontation. I, I don't but see... But China it. is putting its yeah, Muslims in, in, a, you, you know, in, in concentration yeah, camps. Yeah, so you know, the moment there is some slackening of the uh, iron hand of the Chinese, this will explode, for sure. This will explode because... So you are saying that Islam is in a confrontation with the world? Islam needs to come to terms with itself. Islam needs first to make peace with its brothers and sisters who are from an Islam or a different branch of Islam, like the Ahmadis and the Chad and you know, first they need to make peace with them and then peace with the world because Islam is at war with the world. Covertly, overtly, whether it's in football, whether it's in Kashmir, whether it's in, you know, there is a war going on, but people don't want to see it. People want to say, no, 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 uh, everything is good. And Has the West surrendered to Islam? It's complicated, you see. I mean, you see these migrant boats that are coming now to Italy and France. The Westerners have a guilty complex, okay? They've colonized countries, they have exploited the world. You know, France has colonized the half of Africa, colonized in the sense, in the, in the bad way. You know? mm -hmm. So they feel guilty now. So they see these boats of people, and so they have to take them. What can they do? The boat is, boat is going to sink. There are 40, 50, 60, 100 people who are going to die. So they take them. So in that way, it looks like they've given up. But, but it will lead to a confrontation eventually. eventually. I mean, it has it already been in... Huntington said it, you know, it's a clash of civilization. But it's already happening. We see lots of conflicts in Middle East for the last 30, 40 years. There have been wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, in Libya, in Syria. So many conflicts between the West and Muslim countries. Yeah, but still the West wants to, you know, they want to, you see the Biden and all these people, they want to, everybody wants to please the Muslim. Everybody wants to dialogue with the Muslim. Everybody's looking for, a, you know, a, a softer political... Is it because, it is, is it because the West hasn't really, uh, hasn't found any success anywhere in any of these conflicts in Muslim countries? Whether you look at Afghanistan, you look at the Middle East conflicts anywhere in the world, the confrontation between the West and Islam, the West has not won even a single war. 
No, first the West is scared of Islam because uh, you know, Islam is uh, you know, not like Hindus. I can insult Hindus as much as I want that they won't do anything to me. But the moment I say something in the Prophet, or, you know, uh, the, guy, the guys are ready to die for it. They're ready to blow me up or to blow up you know, entire planes because of their belief. So the West is scared, I think. The first thing the West is scared. So it's trying to you know, find a solution by, by dialogue, but uh, there is no dialogue at the moment that can happen. And again, I want to make the difference between Muslims and, and Islam, you know. Muslims, like, like everybody, there is no difference. But the problem is with the scriptures. The problem is that scripture, unless, you know, scholars from Iran, but Iran at the moment, we see that confrontation, you know, between these, the liberals, the women who want to have more freedom, and the mullahs, you know, unless, unless the, the mullahs, you know, sit down, you know, from Saudi Arabia and Iran and wherever, you know, sit down and say, okay, how can we adapt our scriptures to, to today, to the 21st century, so we can live in peace with everybody and prosper, unless it happens. But I may be wrong, huh? I don't know. <laughs> so what is your projection about India? Do you think... India can fight back and India can stand up to this challenge? India has Sufism. Uh, Mr. Modi is trying to promote Sufism. Uh, but uh, Sufism has is died. You know? so what, what, what is shown as Sufism today is just you know, a few guys turning around and dancing and some music and a few, you know, a few couplets. But <clears throat> the real Sufism, the, the Bhakti aspect of Islam <clears throat> that, took from, that took from Vedanta, uh, uh, you know, that love of God and worship of God by singing and this has been banned by Aurangzeb. Aurangzeb banned musical instruments in his court. People are making of Aurangzeb a patron of art but he banned all music instruments from his court because if music was un-Islamic so unless you know Islam reintroduces this love of God by chanting, by you know praying, by writing poems, you know, which was a true Sufism but then you have also argued that India and Pakistan should reunite. You have said that partition was wrong. We should undo partition. Mm. Uh, how do you reconcile these contradictory statements? On one hand, you're saying that Islam is dangerous for India. Islamization is dangerous for India. And on the other hand, you're saying that we need to reunite with Pakistan, which is which has been an Islamic Republic mm. for the last 75 years. I think the partition was wrong because the partition was done on religious lines. That, you know, if you're a Muslim, you go to Pakistan. If you're a Hindu, you stay in India. And actually it didn't work out because many Muslims chose to remain in India because they knew that in India they probably would have more freedom uh, than they would have in Pakistan. And uh, so there is a large Muslim population in India. now. I do believe, you know, that one should adapt to times, and times have changed tremendously. Of course, Pakistan has changed tremendously, but this reunification of South Asia, not only of Pakistan, but, you know, of Bangladesh and Nepal and other countries, uh, is not impossible. It can come either from an economic point of view that all these nations, uh, they have a common currency and they open their borders and there is a common good, you know, economic good, or it can come because a nation like <clears throat> Pakistan is on the point of collapse and eventually you know, it can come back to India. 
So I'm not a prophet, you know, but I, I do think that if you see that uh, Europe managed to have a common commonwealth, you know, European Union. But then what do you do? How do you reconcile with this large population which uh, believes in the Islam see, that the you Kashmir are afraid problem of? will get solved. If India and Pakistan reunite, the Kashmir problem is going to get solved. It's, it's an unsolvable problem, Kashmir. But because Kashmir is solved. Uh, no, not Prime at all. Minister Modi's uh, revocation Absolutely of... Absolutely not. It's an illusion that every government has that if they pour, you know, billions of rupees... No, not that. But revocation of Article 370. Uh, finally, integrated... Are they coming back? Are you going to go back and settle in the Valley of Kashmir? You and your family? You'll get killed. No, so that's where my question, I'm insisting on this question. When you say reunion of India and Pakistan, you're expecting that the entire population of Pakistan, the entire government, the power center of Pakistan, they will, one, reconcile with the idea that um, India and Pakistan are one. Second, it is all right for... Muslims to live with Hindus, coexistence. Third, you also that uh, there are other faiths and Islam is not the supreme religion. You're expecting all of this to happen. Yeah, I'm neither a prophet nor, nor, nor a knower of all things, but again, if you take Kashmir, Pakistan will never surrender Kashmir because rightfully <clears throat> there was a Muslim majority uh, in, in, the, in Kashmir, in the Valley of Kashmir, and in the stupid logic of partition, it should have gone to Pakistan. Now, India will never let go of Kashmir because strategically it is you know, already the lost Tibet and the Chinese can swoop down from, from Tibet into India in case of a war. If they lose Kashmir, you know, the Pakistanis will attack on other fronts. So, so neither of the two nations are going to give up Kashmir. But if there's a reunion of, of Pakistan and India, for even reunion. a peaceful reunion, the economic, uh, Pakistan has collapsed economically, you know, they, they opened their borders and so gradually, maybe not like, you know, Germany where, you know, they broke the wall and East and West Germany, Germany, which, uh, which were totally... So you're saying economic reunion is possible, but in terms of um, the uh, Pakistani power elite saying that two-nation theory was wrong, for them to say that Islam is not the supreme faith, that is not going to happen. But economic reunion is possible. Yes. And you think that would be better for India when you are already saying Islamization is dangerous for India? See, this is an argument of the RSS now that, uh, oh, if Pakistan, luckily Pakistan has been created, otherwise we would have 300 million Muslims in India. But again, the world is not black and white. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We saw with that Ukraine and Russia war. Not really a problem. In Hindus and Muslims can coexist. I think if Pakistan and India are united, it will be a great step towards uh, Islam coming to peace. I think, because already that enmity between Pakistan and India is a lot of an enmity between Islam and the Hindus. You see, there is a, these nations were created on the basis of religion. So one is a Hindu nation, though it doesn't have a, more than 75% Hindus now. And the other one is a Muslim nation. It has a majority of, of Muslims. So if, if they are reunited economically, by force or by, you know, by natural thing, Definitely, it'll be a, it'll be something of a help, peace between Islam. So, and in a way, in South Asia, at least. 
So in a way, uh, Francois Gauthier is saying that Hindus and Muslims must coexist. Yes, there is no other solution. You are saying that Modi is appeasing Muslims. Mm -hmm. You are making contradictory maybe statements. Maybe I'm wrong, you know, to them. I met someone who told me that maybe I'm wrong. You know, I, I'm, I'm always willing to, to admit that I'm wrong. I'm always willing to admit that I'm wrong because, uh, you know, everything is so complicated and uh, maybe I'm wrong. But, but yes, it do, I'm a defender of Hindus. I remain a defender of Hindus. So when, if Hindus and Muslims coexist, uh, you think that will be defense of Hinduism? No, not at all, not at all. I mean, Hindus that accept, accept Islam, they accept, you know, yes. Hindus are willing to go to a mosque there. But, but the reverse is not true. The reverse is not true. A Muslim is not willing to go to a Hindu temple. So, in time, maybe, in time, I don't know. In time, maybe, but, but, um, as I said, I always wrote what I saw on the ground and uh, I wrote it in a little bit of a <coughs> strong manner and, uh, at the moment. So in, in a way you are saying that uh, Prime Minister Modi is on the right path. He is I trying so. to figure... I, I criticize him, but I think he's on the right path. He is trying to look for solutions. He is trying to uh, keep the flock of India together. Yeah, yeah, he, he must have felt that, you know, because he was quite a radical, uh, you know, Hindu <coughs> for a long time. And uh, he must have come to the conclusion that uh, unless uh, Islam is absorbed, uh, you know, is, uh, in the mainstream, he will not be able to make of India superpower. So a lot of what you've been writing, <coughs> a lot of uh, things that you say on Twitter against the BJP, against Prime Minister Modi, in a way, you are now willing to acknowledge that Modi has got it right. Yes. And you've been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, I really don't know, actually. I really don't know. I do think that the Hindus elected him you know, and that uh, there can't have been more than two, three, four percent of uh, other minorities who voted for him. And even in 2024, mostly it was the Hindus who were going to vote for him, not the Muslims, not the Sikhs, especially not the but Sikhs. But you're anymore. saying that uh, he is going to make it difficult for Hindus uh, to come to power in 29, his policies. You read, read that one, huh? Yes, of course. You know, if you supported me, I, I am indebted to you. You, know, you supported me when I was uh, in trouble or when I needed to be elected. I'm indebted to you. Yes. I don't have to be corrupt. I don't have to go out of my way. But I'm still indebted to you. So in that way, I feel that he seems to be uh, betraying might be a strong word, but he seems to be turning his back sometimes to the very people who elected him. And we're still faithful to him, and we're going to vote for him in 2024. But, then, but there are a few voices now that are, it's not only my voice. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a non-Hindu, non-Indian. There are a few voices, at least on the social media. And I think within the government, nobody dares to say anything anymore. No minister, after you know, the sacking of the BGP spokesperson, of that Nupur and uh, that other guy, Nobody dares to say something which is not in the party line. And 
that is disturbing for me. So maybe his plan is, you know, don't say anything against Islam because you know, I'm trying to do something to bring, you know, Islam and Hindus together. Maybe that's his plan, but I don't know. <laughs> the point is that uh, whether he's right or you are right, we will figure out in due course of time. I would say thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation. Happy to be here talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you.